Welcome to Talking About Pigs with Smek, a podcast where individuals from the Swine Medicine Education Center discuss swine health topics over coffee. My name is Dr. Meredith Peterson. I'll be your host today, and with me I have Dr. Gabby Don. Hi, I'm Gabby Don. I'm a veterinarian and postdoc with Smek. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, we're a producer-focused podcast. Every episode we answer producer-submitted questions that are focused on swine health. All of the topics are generated from producers like you, so if you have a question you'd like featured on the podcast, please send it to us at isusmec at iastate.edu. That's I-S-U-S-M-E-C at iastate.edu. Put SMEC podcast question in the title of your email to make sure that we receive it. What we do is dig into the current research and scientific knowledge on the topic, boil it down and connect it to the important points for you, the pork producers. Most of the things we refer to in the podcast will be associated in the notes, so look there if you have any questions, or feel free to shoot us an email. So with that, let's jump in. Today's topic is a little bit more dense than some of the other things we've discussed, but the submitted question was all about next-generation sequencing. So the question submitted was, what is the value of next-generation sequencing in understanding PERS virus? What is next-generation sequencing? How do we use it for PERS virus? What kind of value can it add? So, Dr. Don, do you mind kind of digging into a little bit more detail about what NGS is? Yeah, so at first, you know, what is next generation sequencing? And so I, I kind of want to talk about sequencing in, in broad. And so what that is, is that we're looking at the genetic material of the particular pathogen. And it's a little bit of a further investigation into the characteristics and, and what's going on in the genome or in the genes of the particular pathogen. And so there's two types of sequencing. There's Sanger sequencing and then secondary uh, sequencing called next generation sequencing. And so Sanger sequencing is the typical sequencing that's done in per samples uh, at your VDL. So when you're submitting for next generation sequencing, um, you know, this is the most common type that is used. And so this gives a sequence uh, for the OR5 gene which is only about 4% of the entire PERS genome. And then this test is used to classify strains by lineage and restriction fragment length polymorphism, or the RFLP pattern, if you're familiar with that. But these are not ways to indicate, you know, the strain or how it will, you know, behave in that particular group of pigs. And so just to kind of cover, so RFLP pattern, so this is a way that we can characterize different PERS viruses. So for instance, if you're familiar with 144 PERS, so that's a particular, you know, restriction fragment length polymorphism. There's different kinds of those. So like 184, 174, 144. So you might see that, but it doesn't necessarily give a specific relationship to the different viruses. It's just a a previous way that we've been able to classify these viruses. And so this method of Sanger sequencing, it's not efficient at detecting more than one strain in a sample. And so sometimes we can see multiple strains within a herd. So that's kind of some pros and cons into why we use Sanger sequencing. It's also a, a cheaper mechanism of sequencing versus our alternative, which is next generation sequencing. Next generation sequencing provides more information than Sanger sequencing. And so it gives a better characterization of the virus. And so I was thinking about a good example of of these two different sequencing methods. And if you think about it as we have a puzzle, 
that uh, we don't have a reference picture of. So we have the genetic pieces, but we're in, we're trying to assemble a puzzle without a reference image. And so Sanger sequencing, that uh, looks at a smaller section of the genome. And so this would be your 400, 500 piece puzzle. However, next generation sequencing, you can have up to, you know, 10,000 pieces, etc. So this gives a more, you're assembling those pieces from, you know, the genes that you have. And so you can look at a, a larger section of the genome with this technology. And so it can actually uh, give the, uh, the entire genetic sequence for that. Um, it it kind of depends on how much virus you have in the sample. And then it also can allow for a, the identification of multiple strains. So, you know, let's say we've got two different puzzles going on in the same sample. You can, you have more pieces. And so you can see, oh, well, well, this is a blue puzzle and this is a red puzzle. So they're not the same thing. And, and we can try to um, piece that out. So this is a more expensive than Sanger sequencing. And so it's not necessary in all cases. And so uh, Dr. Peterson will dig into what the value of NGS can add for PERS diagnostics. Awesome. Thanks, Gabby. I think the puzzle analogy is a good way to think about it, that we really, with next generation sequencing, sometimes we just get little fragments of the genome, mm -hmm. and we have to piece that together and try to figure out what we have. Yep. So I think that's a good way to think about it. So when we think about NGS for PERS virus, it can be used for epidemiologic tracking. So this can be used to characterize the virus on the farm and track it over time. Or if there's several viruses on the farm, track them over time. It can help identify new strains, mutations, different kinds of changes in the virus over time. So it can also be helpful in identifying multiple strains, which is unique to NGS. So like uh, Dr. Dawn said, Sanger sequencing can only identify one strain at a time, and it might be useful to know if you have multiple strains. Why might it be useful? Dr. Giovanni Trevisan in 2022 published a study of 20 breeding herds where he showed that farms with less than two PERS virus strains reached stability 12 weeks earlier than farms with greater than three PERS virus strains. So knowing how many strains might help you understand what the prognosis or the anticipated time to stability could be in your herd. So this is where maybe more information from next generation sequencing could be useful clinically. In terms of what kind of sampling to use for NGS, recommendations are evolving, but if you're trying to detect multiple strains using an aggregated sample, so that would be something like oral fluids or processing fluids where we're testing multiple pigs at a time is suggested. If you're trying to understand just a single strain or the evolution or recombination, mutation of a strain, then individual samples are probably recommended. But like I mentioned, those recommendations are kind of in flux. We don't know that much about it yet to have really strong baseline recommendations of what samples to take. Some more information about NGS for PERS virus. Dr. Joel Sparks, who's an AMVC swine veterinarian, spoke on various platforms and conferences in the last couple of years on how he has used NGS to help manage PERS virus on farms. So when he looks at whether or not to use NGS, he asks himself, do I need more detail than a PCR test or traditional sequencing? So is there something different about this virus, maybe how it's presenting, or what, what information do I need that maybe I'm missing with my other tests? So for example, he had a farm that had some PERS virus symptoms, 
The Sanger sequencing, so that's the traditional sequencing that we used, revealed that it was a 98% similar virus to the previous vaccine that the farm had used. But they hadn't used this vaccine in over a year. And so that was kind of brought a question to mind of, is this the old vaccine strain or kind of what's going on? So they opted to do NGS, and this showed that it was actually virus, a virus that was more similar to the current vaccine used on the farm, not the old vaccine. So if you remember, that Sanger sequence or the OR5 sequence, it only looks at 4% of the genome. So there's a lot of other parts of, the, of genetic material that it can be missing, and that's what they found in this case. Whereas if you're looking at NGS, you have the potential to look at the entire genome if you have a lot of virus in that sample. So NGS can not only help with prognosis, but we don't quite have enough data to understand how it can help with prognosis. So as we build more NGS samples in our databases, then we might be able to develop information of how a particular strain might act on the farm. So that's kind of where some extra value comes in with NGS. So you can start banking viruses and being able to understand, okay, this virus acted a certain way, had a certain mortality, certain amount of clinical signs, certain length to stability in three different herds. Maybe we're starting to get some information there of how that virus acts in the field. I think there's a lot of potential for NGS in PERS virus diagnostics, but there's still some cautions to be taken when using it, especially because it's new technology. We don't fully understand all of the nuances with it. So Gabby, do you mind digging in a little deeper into some of those maybe implications? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, like Dr. Peterson had said, you know, NGS works best when there's a large amount of virus. And so again, to that puzzle analogy, if we want to see a full picture of what is going on within that particular virus, we need a lot of the puzzle pieces. Because if you only have a specific section, you might not understand the context of, of what that picture is really representing. And so we need to use samples with a low PCR cycle threshold or CT count. And so, you know, you need to do PCR before you run NGS so that you know um, how much virus you have in a sample. And so samples that tend to have lower CTs are lungs and pigs versus like nasal swabs or, you know, oral fluids for that matter. So lungs would probably be a better sample to take, especially if you were interested in pursuing next-generation sequencing. And so if there's not a lot of virus in a sample, you may get these fragments uh, rather than that whole genome picture. And so these are called contigs. And so contigs can be challenging to interpret as, you know, they share many similarities to either the vaccine or previously documented strains that are in that farm. But without the rest of that genome, we just don't know for sure. And so, again, it's like looking there, we're missing some context to what the puzzle pieces that we have. And so trying to overlay and trying to make sense of it might be a little bit more difficult if you don't have that large virus amount in that sample. And so if you're choosing to do NGS, use a sample that has a high viral load and then also with any diagnostic test, you need to have a plan with how those results are going to be used. And so NGS isn't needed in all cases. You know, maybe this is, you, you want to do some comparisons. How different is this virus strain or, or do I have two virus strains 
going on within a herd. That would be, you know, something that you might want to pursue NGS or, you know, do is the virus that I have, is it going to be covered or close to a specific vaccine so that we can implement that vaccine in our farm? So those are some examples of reasons you might do NGS and then some implications for that. Absolutely. And ultimately, NGS just provides us more data on a particular virus. And I think what you, you made a great point that as with any diagnostic test, we kind of need to know how we're going to use those results. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's special cases in which NGS is really useful, but probably not in every single PERS case. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So in summary, as the producer, you're not going to be the one ordering NGS, but it's important for you to be educated on the diagnostics that could be used on your farm and the different things that veterinarians might be doing to better understand prognosis or what clinical signs you're going to have with a particular strain. So NGS provides the entire genetic code for PERS virus if you have a sample with enough virus in it. So that can be up to 15,000 base pairs for PERS virus. Additionally, NGS can provide some value in terms of tracking the epidemiology of a virus, any sort of mutations, recombination of the virus, and it can also identify multiple strains, which we've seen through Dr. Trevisan's work that the number of strains can help predict time to stability. So ultimately, ask your veterinarian about NGS to see if it makes sense to use in your case. For example, if your sow farm breaks with PERS virus, Would NGS help better understand the prognosis for the farm? Might help you make different decisions on when, how to eliminate the virus, kind of what your approach is going to be. So we hope that this podcast just kind of brought to light a a new diagnostic technique that we have and provided you a little bit more background so you can chat more with your veterinarian if you're having issues with PERS virus. Maybe NGS is a tool you could use. Thank you, Dr. Don, for being part of the podcast today. Glad to have you back. As always, the discussed resources and summaries are in the podcast notes. If you have any questions or if you have a question you'd like featured on the podcast, please email us at isusmec at iastate.edu. Please share and watch for our next episode. We'll discuss other current swine health topics and answer more producer questions. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day and week. A special thank you to Iowa Pork Producers Association for making this podcast possible through their sponsorship. Mm